0: Welcome, everybody, to Journey the Church. We're grateful that you're here on this wonderful, wonderful night. How's everyone doing tonight? The food was amazing, I'm sure. The worship was spectacular. And how about Joey? Wonderful job, Joey. Phenomenal job. Hey, we're grateful that you're here tonight as we continue our study in the book of 1 Corinthians and a letter from Paul to an ancient city in in Greece. But before we get into that, I want to ask you guys a question if if that's alright with you. Uh, I want to know everything you ate for Thanksgiving. Okay? And so, Everybody, at the same time, I want you to just like yell out on the count of three like everything you ate for Thanksgiving, all right? Everything you ate for Thanksgiving on the count of three, ready, one, two, three. Wait, 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 I didn't hear, I don't hear these people over here. We'll start over one more time. We'll try it one more time. And you have to yell it out so I can actually hear it. You can't just mumble it under your breath. I need to be able to hear it, all right? All right, ready, one, two, three. Okay. All right. All right. I think I heard asparagus, pumpkin pie, lasagna, mashed potatoes. Let let me hear one more time, one final time. Oh, there we go. Turkey, ham, potatoes. Thank you. I think I got every one of them. Well, tonight as we continue with the book of but the letter of 1 Corinthians, we're continuing with chapter 14, a passage that's largely concerned with church order when it comes to worship. Jeffrey O'Dell Bonsaw Barnett left off two weeks ago with verse 19 and a whole discussion about speaking in tongues. And here we go. We're going to pick it up tonight at verse 20. So if you're able to stand, why don't you join me as we read from 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, verse 20. It says, Brothers and sisters, don't be like children in the way you think. Well, be babies when it comes to evil, but be adults in your thinking. God, tonight we come before you. We want to know what it means to be spiritually mature. We want to open up your word tonight and be changed. Lord, we want to know you in a deeper way, a way that affects us and changes us and changes our world. So teach us tonight, Lord. Our hearts are open, our minds are ready to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here in this first verse in Chapter 14, verse 20, Paul basically wants the Corinthian believers to stop thinking like selfish, give me this, give me that, children. Instead, he says, be innocent infants when it comes to evil. At the same time, though, be grown-up, responsible, mature believers. And here in the next few verses, Paul explains why spiritual maturity and also self-control is important when it comes to the church gathering, when it comes to the worship service like this. Verse 21 says, In the law, which here can refer to the entire Hebrew scriptures, because this text that we're going to see as it follows is actually from Isaiah, which isn't the law. The law is commonly referred to as Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Well, Isaiah is not one of those books, But what we see here is that in the law, it refers to the whole entire Hebrew scriptures. It says, In the law, it is written, I will speak to this people with foreign languages and foreigners' lips, but they will not even listen to me this way, says the Lord. So basically, if Israel wouldn't listen to the prophets, They wouldn't be able to hear when foreign languages were spoken through foreign people. I think what Paul is basically trying to say here with this citation from Isaiah is, why put so much stress when it comes to speaking in tongues? Why why are we stressing on this so much? He goes on to explain this and unpack this in verse 22 and so on. So then tongues are a sign for those who don't believe. Not for those who believe, but prophecy is a sign for believers, not for those who don't believe. So suppose that the whole church is meeting and everyone is speaking in tongues, kind of like everyone at the same time yelling out what you had for Thanksgiving. If people come in who are outsiders or unbelievers, won't they say that you are out of your minds? But if everyone is prophesying when an unbeliever or outsider comes in, they are tested by all and called to account by all. The secrets of their hearts are brought to light. When that happens, they will fall on their faces and worship God, proclaiming out loud that truly God is among you. There's a lot there. And I find what the message paraphrase has to say about these verses is rather helpful for us to understand what Paul is saying here. This is what the message paraphrase says. So where does it get you, all this speaking in tongues no one understands? It doesn't help believers, and it only gives unbelievers something to gawk at. Plain truth speaking, that is prophecy, on the other hand, goes straight to the heart of believers and doesn't get in the way of unbelievers. If you come together as a congregation and some unbelieving outsiders walk in on you as you're praying, as you're all praying in tongues, unintelligible to each other and to them, won't they assume you've taken leave of your senses and get out of there as fast as they can? But if some unbelieving outsiders walk in on a service where people are speaking out God's truth, the plain words will bring them up against the truth and probe their hearts. Before you know it, they're going to be on their faces before God, recognizing that God is among you. Well, verse 26 says, What is the outcome of this, brothers and sisters? When you meet together, each one has a psalm a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All these things must be done to build up the church. At our house, Penny rules the roost. Tara and I, we think we run things, but we all know the truth. It's Penny and her anarchy. While at Jeff and Liz's house, they apparently have rules. Let's take a look at the family rules. This is posted in their kitchen beside their coffee maker. Be respectful. Clean up your own mess. Have a good attitude. Always tell the truth. Look how far down love God and love each other is, but (laughs) I'm just kidding. Ask to borrow things. Forgive. Rinse off your dishes. Those are some critical things, some some rules. And rules can be quite good, actually. And a lot of times we're like, no rules. But rules can actually be quite a, a good thing. If they turn chaos into order, if they turn confusion into peace and establish a sense of order and routine even, that can be a good thing. When it comes to God's house, there are rules too. Here in the next section, Paul lays out the rules when it comes to tongues or prophecy or speaking in a church meeting, all of which must be done. All of this, speaking in tongues, prophesying, speaking in a church meeting, all of this must be done to build up the church and glorify God. You know, church is actually not about the individual. Church is not about the individual. Church is about the body the body of Christ. We gather here to receive and also to give. You know that your job tonight and Sundays and whenever you're a part of this church body is not to be a passive listener. There's no passive listeners allowed. You can't just come and spectate. You haven't come for the show. You've come to encounter the living God and that involves some participation on your part. So speaking of participation, let's do some table talk tonight. Talk to the people around you at your table. When you come to church, what's your mentality? Do you come to participate or spectate? And how? How are you presently using your spiritual gift or gifts in the body of the church? All right? Ready, go. All right, we got about one more minute, one more minute. Let's bring it back together here. Thanks for your thoughts and sharing at your tables. In verses 27 and 28, Paul lays out the rules about tongues and how they should manifest themselves in the corporate worship service. Verse 27 and 28 says, If some speak in a tongue, then let two... or." Lynn let two, or at most three, speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. However, if there is no interpreter, then they should keep quiet in the meeting. They should speak privately to themselves and to God. Uh, Last year, Jeff and I, we went to a conference in Orange County, and it was uh, charismatic, very charismatic. It was really, really neat. There was a lot of worship a lot of dancing a lot of flags and twirling and all this stuff it was it was pretty special but i remember a, a time during uh, one of the worship sessions where the worship got kind of low and some lady just started like yelling out rah, 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 and so on and so forth probably something a little bit different than what you just heard <laughs> but then there was a man who was standing beside her and then he like interpreted whatever she had said what she was speaking in tongues and the whole time I was like watching the worship leader who kind of you could tell was not enthused by what was happening there it's not that they were speaking in tongues but I think what she had to say I don't even remember what she had to say it actually didn't edify or build up or improve what was going on. It didn't build up the church, and it didn't really glorify God. And what I'm trying to say is that Paul is teaching us that we must use our language. If you have the gift of tongues, it has to be done responsibly with the focus of not just glorifying yourself, but focusing on building up and edifying the church and glorifying God. Paul actually gives rules about tongues, and here they are, tongues at the worship service. He says, no more than three should speak at a given service. Only one person should speak in tongues at a time, and no one should speak unless an interpreter is present and identified. Well, a few weeks ago, it was during one of our worship services here at Journey, an awesome woman of God, she comes up to me and she asks if uh, it's all right if she prays for me in tongues. And I said, sure, why not? And she started like speaking in my ear all of this beautiful like language. It sounded like Japanese or something. I, I don't know, maybe Kyle could understand, maybe he could have interpreted what was going on. And it was on and on, and it, I just felt, like, enlivened in my spirit. Like, I, I felt like someone just, like, zapped me, and I just felt like it was from God. I, I could totally tell it was from God, but then what wasn't maybe so awesome was that as soon as she was done, like, praying for me in tongues, she's like, backs away, and, whoa, ha, I had no idea what that was all about. In my heart, I felt like, I'm grateful for what you did. And I felt like God maybe affirmed some things during that prayer, which neither of us understood what it was about. But I sure wish that there was someone there to interpret what she had prayed for me. I mean, it would have been nice to hear like her saying, like, hey, Jeremy, this is from God. You are amazing. You are awesome. Your beard is ferocious. <laughs> You're way funnier than Jeff. Like, all of these things that, You know, in my heart, I felt God was affirming, but, you know, so Paul's basically saying, make sure there's an interpreter so we all know what's going on. Well, on to prophecy, which involves speaking from uh, divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God. Prophecy also includes rebuking the wicked or comforting the afflicted, revealing a hidden or even a future message. Well, here's what Paul said previously about those who prophesy. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3-4, he said, Those who prophesy speak to people, building them up and giving them encouragement and comfort. People who speak in a tongue build themselves, build up themselves. Those who prophesy build up the church. Now, he says in verse 29-33a, through 33a, In the case of prophets, let two or three speak and have the rest evaluate what is said. And if some revelation comes to someone else who is sitting down, the first one should be quiet. Basically, take your turn and mind the clock. Verse 31 says, You can all prophesy one at a time so that everyone can learn and be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are under the control of the prophets. God isn't a God of disorder, but of peace. So Paul's rules on prophecy at the worship service are as follows. Limit prophesying to two or three speakers, because the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. You know what that means? I think you do, right? You're like, my seat can hardly endure much more. The church is to weigh carefully what is said, one prophecy at a time, so you don't speak over another person's words, and it seems like there was an issue at Corinth. What we have here is an instance of what's called mirror reading, where we see Paul addressing an issue, and we can deduce from that issue that there was probably a problem happening there. So it seems like there was an issue in Corinth where certain people were monopolizing, were taking over and just controlling this whole prophecy time. Paul declares that people can control themselves and that the sign of the Holy Spirit's presence is actually order and courtesy. I mean, we always want to experience the Holy Spirit and have the freedom of the Spirit and all of this stuff, but we also see the Holy Spirit working in order and courtesy. The entire purpose of prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Now, this is the part in the service where I have to give you a Jeremy Kay's opinion disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this following statement do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Journey the Church. We all have a past, right? That was like in July, so. (laughs) Here's my opinion. I gave you my disclaimer. Here's my opinion. I would encourage us to be careful when we say, God told me, dot, dot, dot. I would encourage us to be careful when we say, God told me. Those are three very powerful words. When God speaks, it's different than when I speak. It's different than when Jeff speaks, when Dustin speaks, when Joey speaks, when Foss speaks, when Milady or Teresa or someone else speaks. When God speaks, galaxies come into existence Stars are born. The universe is created. Life itself is formed. So we have to be very careful when we say, God told me, dot, dot, dot. You know, someone once told my lovely wife, Tara, he told her, God told me we're going to be married. And it wasn't me. (laughs) It wasn't me. And her response to him Telling her, God told me that we are going to be married, her response was, uh, that's not what God told me. (laughs) My opinion is that qualifying our God told me statements with something like, I feel like God told me, might prove to be beneficial. You may disagree, and that's okay. We're family. We can have disagreements. That's what makes us a family. But I wonder if Tara's position could have made her feel less awkward if he had said, I feel like God is telling me, rather than putting the pressure on her and saying, God told me this. So then she has to like wrestle with God and try and figure out, well, God, did you really say this? It's a little bit lighter if you hear, I feel like God told me. I think we can legitimately say, I believe God wants us to do such and such, or I have a very strong impression that God wants us to do such and such, but we have no right to say, thus saith the Lord. Unless, of course, we can show it in scripture where God actually does say, thus saith the Lord. Now, maybe what I'm saying, remember this is just my opinion, it might rub you the wrong way. It may feel weird or awkward or angry at me about this, but what's worse, saying something like, I feel like God told me, or saying, God told me, and then you get to heaven and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You, you fought the good fight. You finished the race. You kept the faith. I just thought to inform you, all those God told me statements Yeah, that was the jalapeno tacos, (laughs) not the Holy Spirit. Opinion ended. My hope is that we would prophesy responsibly with focus on building up and edifying the church and glorifying God. You know, God does speak, and I know he speaks to some of you in loud, audible, profound ways. And I'm not trying to shut that down by any means, Just make sure you know it's God, right? Not the tacos or whatever it may be. Um, So yeah, now we get into more uh, difficult stuff here. Verse 33b. Like in all the churches of God's people, the women should be quiet during the meeting. They are not allowed to talk. Instead, they need to get under control just as the law says. If they want to learn something, they should ask their husbands at home. It is disgraceful for a woman to talk during the meeting. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, and no one has left yet, we're going to break this down a lot. Today in Western cultures, notions of male domination of women and female subordination to men, those notions are widely rejected. But for some contemporary Christians, what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 14, 33b-35 is cause for debate. Some readers claim that Paul actually didn't write these words, that this is what's called a post-Pauline interpolation, that a, a later scribe added these words to the text. But we actually have no manuscript evidence to suggest that this is correct. Well, in order to understand what's being communicated here, these sound like pretty harsh words. I think we need to take a good, hard, long look at language and culture. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lay out a number of interpretations to help us, to help guide us into understanding what is Paul talking about here when he says the woman should be quiet during the meeting. They are not allowed to talk. Instead, they need to get under control just as the law says. If they want to learn something, they should ask their husbands at home. It is disgraceful for a woman to talk during the meeting. So interpretation number one that we'll explore is one I'd like to call Paul never wrote this interpretation. It's what we talked about just a second ago, that this is an interpolation, a a post-Pauline scribal addition to the text. Does does that make sense to everybody, that that some text textual scribe is is copying this manuscript and then they actually include some other stuff? Uh, I don't really buy that opinion. But uh, number two, this is what I like to call the chatty Cathy interpretation. And this is, actually, this is not obviously the theological terminology right here. But this is uh, probably one of the most commonly held view that Paul is writing about disruptive speech. Verse 35 says, if they, referring to the wives, want to learn something, they should ask their husbands at home. Perhaps the women were shouting out disruptive questions. Maybe they were asking questions of men other than their husbands, and it was proving to be a problem. Or perhaps they were just noisy, disruptive chatterboxes. Here, Paul is addressing disruptive talk in this interpretation, not attacking the role of women in ministry. I'm going to say that again. Here, Paul is addressing in this interpretation disruptive talk not attacking the role of women in ministry. I mean, if Paul were attacking the role of women in ministry, then he'd have to take back what he said in 1 Corinthians 11, verses four and five, and also the women who were empowered in church leadership in the early church. And this this section here from, from chapter 11 about women, how they may pray and how they may prophesy in the church gatherings. But what does Paul mean here about women being quiet? Another interpretation is what I like to call don't talk during the evaluating prophecies time interpretation. Verse 29, let's go back to it. In the case of prophets, let two or three speak and have the rest evaluate what's said. Perhaps Paul is here talking about banning the women from evaluating the prophecies, this section within The service. Like women shouldn't speak up during this evaluation time because it might violate submission to male leadership. It's an an option for interpretation. Number four, this one is called, uh, I like to call a quotation interpretation. And uh, I'll spare you the technicalities. We could spend all night talking about the technicalities here and tell you, uh, that Paul actually might be doing what he regularly does in this letter. He might be quoting some Corinthian Christians who have been saying these things, and then he moves on to refute what they had been saying. This interpretation argues that the text would look something like this, or should look something like this that we begin in 33 that God isn't a God of disorder and peace, and then Paul is quoting the Corinthian Christians who are saying, like in all the churches of God's people, the women should be quiet during the meeting. They are not allowed to talk. Instead, they need to get under control. Just as the law says, if they want to learn something, they should ask their husbands at home. It is disgraceful for a woman to talk during the meeting. And then Paul here goes on to refute this in verse 36. Well, did the word of God originate with you? Has it come only to you? Since the original text had no punctuation or quotation marks, it would look something like this. This is actually a text of, uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through chapter 3, verse 5. Um, this is one of the oldest papyrus manuscripts of Corinthians right here. Uh, tell me... Like, do you see any periods or exclamation marks or quotation marks? Those are actually just uppercase letters side by side. You don't even have breaks where the words stop because they're trying to use as much papyrus or as little papyrus as they can because it was expensive. And so you see them cramming everything together. There's no room for quotation marks so perhaps it is. Furthermore, let's go back to, to verse 36. The yous that we see, let's go back to 36, or just the slide before that. Uh, do you see the u's on verse 36? Originate with you. Has it only come to you? These grammatically are, it's referring to men. This question is addressed to men down here. It's masculine and it's, and it's gender. I know that may seem like really over the head, but, but these yous, has the word of God only come to you, men? Paul's therefore perhaps not telling the women that they are not to participate fully in worship. He's already assumed that they will do so in 1 Corinthians eleven four four through five. Instead, he's telling the men who apparently want to restrict women, the men whom he quotes, in verses 33B through 35, that such an attitude will not be tolerated, since, that is, the men, they did not originate God's word, and it hasn't only come to them. So that's an interpretation. And then the last one I'll share is uh, what I call, a "Don't shame your hubby" interpretation." In 1 Corinthians 14.34, the women should be quiet during the meeting. They are not allowed to talk. Well, this Greek term translated as women is gunakes. It can refer either to an adult female or to a wife. And we see verse 34, you can translate it as the women or the wives should be quiet during the meeting. In any case... The meaning wives is actually implied throughout because verse 35 says, if they, that is the wives, want to learn something, they should ask their husbands at home. So Paul's remark here in verse 34 about being quiet during the meeting isn't a general uh, rule or, or direction toward women in general, but to wives. If a married woman has questions and wants to talk about something Discussed in this early church gathering, they should ask their questions at home. Why? Well, in Paul's culture, wives could bring shame upon their husbands and upon their families by speaking out of turn in public. This shame was particularly true if a wife seemed to challenge or contradict her husband's authority or that of other men in public discussions. Now, I think that this could actually go both ways even today. I mean, you contradict your wife in front of other people. You challenge her in front of other people. It's probably not one of the five love languages. I'm just saying. It's probably not going to help out. But in this kind of setting, in this cultural context seems that maybe Paul prevented these women from participating in discussions and worship in this way. So there you have it. Quite a few options for interpretation. They each have their strengths. They each have their weaknesses. But what I want you to do is, I'm not gonna tell you what my interpretation is, and uh, I'll, I'll listen to yours for sure, but um, I want you to go to God and read this text and ask God, Where do you stand, God? How should I understand this? Allow him to speak to you. Not some scholars, not me, not some pastor, not some theologian or anything. Allow God to speak and lead you in this guidance of interpretation. Read the whole book and try and figure out what Paul is talking about because Paul's views on women in in 1 Corinthians is is very positive, very pro-women. Well, anyways, verse 37 through 40 says, if anyone thinks that they are prophets or spiritual people, then let them recognize that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If someone doesn't recognize this, they aren't recognized. Wow, that's harsh right there. Paul's calling on Jesus as the source of authority for what he has written about prophecy, tongues and speaking in church meetings. And to reject what Paul is writing here is actually to reject the Lord Jesus. Verse 39 says, So then, brothers and sisters, use your ambition to try to get the gift of prophecy, but don't prevent speaking in tongues. Everything should be done with dignity and in proper order. The Greek is toxin. This word toxin here translated as proper order, it's an ancient military term meaning to fall in rank. When the body of Christ functions in this way, when it falls into rank, like, like a troop or a cohort or, or a military, an army, when it functions in this way, there should be a sense of dignity and proper order. You think about what's the purpose of the church. What is the purpose of the church? It's not to make money. It's not to invite a bunch of people it's not to plant other churches. It's to be the body of Christ. And sure, it may involve a lot of that stuff. But the purpose of the church is to display the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to all we encounter. Church is not a building, to movement. It's a collaboration of people who have come together, laying down, surrendering their lives and living for a greater cause. And I think what Paul's saying is that this works best, being the church, when it's done with dignity and in proper order. So I would encourage us tonight to listen to Paul's instructions and to love, to go out of our way to love, to make this a loving place, but also a loving movement, because we bring the Spirit of God wherever we go because the Holy Spirit resides inside of our hearts. You know, this uh, past week has been a a strange week. We uh, got the news on Sunday night that a, a neighbor of ours, we live in Somas, a neighbor of ours went missing. And she was an elderly lady, and I'd never met her before. We had no idea who she was. 76 year old woman who suffers from dementia and she goes missing. Walks off. No one can find her. And they have helicopters searching, these heat seeking drones, everything. They've got dogs out. We just start driving around and we've got like flashlights. It's bitter cold. We don't find anything. In the morning, we find out that the search has even escalated. They've got like four-wheel drive vehicles, motorcycles, helicopters. And so we're like, well, we should probably go and help, try and help our neighbor. And so we go and we search and search and walk through barrancas and through orchards and no luck. But over the next couple of days, we keep seeing more and more of this movement of people within our local community in Camarillo and Somis and Ventura County coming together, not just through social media, but through face-to-face contact, posting signs of, we have this missing person, she, she needs to be found immediately. And then today, uh, at like 3.30 in the afternoon, I get a text from my wife, and it says, they found Judy and she's alive, and she's safe. And they transport her, and you guys probably already know the story. You're like, yeah, we know the story. Sorry, if you live in Oxnard, you might not know the story. It's okay. (laughs) Rachel's shaking her head. She lives in Wyneme. Sorry, Wyneme, not Oxnard. (laughs) Wyneme. But what I am most in awe about is that people are praising God all over social media, because this is a work of God. And a couple of days ago, I kind of got frustrated because they were asking for help. They were asking for prayer. And then they were stepping outside the box and asking, does anyone know a medium? Do you know what a medium is? It's not just the shirt size I wear. A medium is like someone you, I wear a medium, by the way. If you, <laughs> Christmas shopping or anything like that, medium. <laughs> it's beside the point. But it's like, I don't know, it's like a fortune teller or it's like someone you call into and they like, tell you your future or something like that. I'm not really that familiar with what a medium is, but it's not of God. Uh, and I'm like, why are you guys doing that? And I see a lady from the church posting on the like, Facebook group, and she was like, well, it sounds, basically sounds like your mediums don't know what they're talking about because they're taking the search in all different directions. And I'm like, God, we want you to have the glory. And God got the glory. He's always going to get the glory. I mean, it's it's no surprise to us. His plan, he's going to win. He always does, and he always will, always has. So it should be no surprise that our God is always victorious. And so let us continue to be the church, to be like that community that is surrounded, who comes together for the needs of others. Not just when something like this happens, not not just some tragedy, but, but life. In general. Well, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the order, the stability that you bring to our lives, and even to the church setting, Lord. You want us to experience you in a way that is clear and understandable, and sometimes, God, we don't understand what's happening, and that's okay, but we know that you are on the throne, that you are always victorious. We place our hope in you, and you speak to us, God. So we ask to have ears that we would listen. And Lord, we we look forward to the amazing things you're gonna continue to do in our lives, in our community, in our world. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody.